this is highly unusual, right? We don't usually have you know, a, a private group coming and offering a huge plan like this to the village. I can't think of a, a time in the past, actually, when a, 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 a private entity has come to the village with this type of an offer of, uh, you know, tens of millions of dollars in a, a private-public partnership park plan. So, again, I think all of this has to be thought out. Uh, and again, we have to do some some uh, review amongst the board and and with uh, with the you know village attorney and and in consultation with the boards on exactly how to move forward with this. From the Express News Group, I'm Gavin Manu, publisher of the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express. Express Magazine and 27East.com. The Express Sessions are back with a new season of conversations not to be missed. And this is the Sessions Report. The Express Sessions are presented by Rocco Carrero Wealth Partners, a Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisor for 2023 with offices in East Hampton and Southampton. Deciding the right next move in a changing market can be a challenge but the right financial advice can help you best position your portfolio to take advantage of opportunities and mitigate loss. The professionals at Rocco Carrero Wealth Advisors are committed to understanding your goals and can provide personal financial advice to meet your individual needs. For more information or to set up a consultation, visit RoccoCarrero.com or call 631-283-8482. All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, thank you for joining us. I have the pleasure of being joined by three of our finest journalists, and uh, I'm just going to have them introduce themselves. Uh, Joe Shaw is, is with us today. Hey, Joe. Hey, Gavin. Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor of the Express News Group, and I was the moderator for the Express Sessions event. And at the controls, as always, is Bill Sutton. Hey, Bill. Hey, Gavin. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group, and I wasn't at the Express Sessions, but I'm sure I'll have... Uh, some questions. Of course you will. And our resident expert on all things Southampton Village, Kaylin Riley is with us. Hey, Kaylin. Hey, guys. I'm Kaylin Riley, news reporter. Um, I feel as though I, I sh at least share that title with Brendan O'Reilly, our deputy managing editor. He's not here today, so I'll do my best to be the solo expert on Southampton Village and everything that's going on with Lake Agawam today. Yeah, it's a lot. So we got we have a great team covering it, and um, yeah, this event was uh, was very interesting. The Express Sessions returned this week uh, with a packed house at the Southampton Social Club. Uh, the event was titled "A New Park and a Clean Lake on the Horizon for Agawam," uh, and the voice you heard at the top of the podcast was Southampton Vill Village Mayor Bill Manger, and he was joined on the panel by uh, David Bonnet, who is a board member with the Lake Agawam Conservancy. Dr. Christopher Gobler, who's a professor with Stony Brook University's School of Marine and Atmospheric Sciences. Uh, Southampton Town Planning Director Janice Shearer was with us, as was Southampton Village Mayor Michael Irving and Shannon Wiley, who owns Sea Green Design on Job's Lane. And she was there to sort of speak for the business community. Um, you know, really, it was they all agreed that it was a, a obviously a very unique opportunity uh, that, that that we're talking about here. And uh, Mr. Bonnet and Dr. Gobler really set the stage right out of the gate for the discussion. Thank you, Joe. I want to thank you and your team at the Express News Group. You provide an incredibly important public service. One of the criticisms we've had is a lack of visibility and transparency 
and your organization has gone a long way to educate the public about this issue, including uh, your partner WLIW with that terrific uh, broadcast earlier this week. So, so thank you very much. I'm a member of the Lake Agawam Conservancy. I've lived on Pond Lane. I currently live on First Neck Lane. I've been involved with the remediation of Lake Agawam for 16 years, uh, starting way back with the predecessor organization, the Lake Agawam Conservation Association. We have worked, as you say, with uh, all previous administrations as well as the current administration, and we have a lot of potential and momentum now to really make a difference in remediating the toxic condition of Lake Agawam. We're talking about an 11-acre park, which would be a game-changer for the village of Southampton. We're talking about installing algae skimmers that's part of this plan that will help improve the water quality of the lake. We're talking about uh, remediating runoff uh, and creating a beautiful park. So I look forward to the conversation, and again, thank you again. Great. Good to have you. Dr. Christopher Gobler, Chris, um, it's complicated and there's a lot of details, but before we get into the, the aesthetics of a park and, and all of that, I'd like to talk about what the potential is for helping to improve Lake Agawam. Now, there's an aspect of this project that I'd like to come back to later, which is the algae skimmer, which is sort of integral. Let's set that aside for the moment and talk just about the park proposal what would the park do for the health of Lake Agawam? Sure. Well, thank you for having me first, Joe. And, um, and to answer that, of course, just so we're all on the same page and so everybody knows, in the introduction we heard that Lake Agawam is one of the most polluted water bodies in New York. That's because it experiences something called toxic blue-green algae blooms. Uh, these algae make toxins that are a public health threat, a threat to animals as well. Um, and they're driven by excessive levels of nitrogen and phosphorus coming from land and the watershed going into the lake. And that watershed extends all the way up to Sunrise Highway and is all draining in. Um, the park does represent a great opportunity for cleaning up the lake uh, in, I think, really two ways. You know, first of all, if you look at the around Lake Agawam, um, a lot of the lake now is different than it was even just five to ten years ago and that there's been both um, public and private buffers put in to intercept runoff as it's coming into the lake. The area we're talking about along Pond Lane is almost a singular exception um, in that it's one area where you can get just direct runoff going from land directly into the lake, delivering nitrogen, phosphorus, all sorts of pollutants that can intensify those events. So the idea is in that area, really, frankly, where the road is and, and the area just to the east of that, would be to put in a vegetative buffer that would actually serve potentially two different purposes. Um, one would be collecting any of the runoff as it's going from land down to the lake. And, of course, the topography there is such that you do get a lot of runoff, an accelerated runoff, and particularly during summer when we're having these events. And, you know, recall back to this summer how intense the rainfall was um, and how it comes all at once. So, one, it would intercept that. Two, the other idea is to do something that's already happening in Old Town Pond. And that idea is to take the lake water and to actually use it in two ways. One, to just run it right into that buffer and have it coming back through, allowing the vegetation to remove the nutrients. 
But two, once you've already done that, then you also have the option to use that same lake water to irrigate any gardens that are put into the park. And again, you know, one, that's water conservation, but two, that would mean the gardens themselves would also be contributing to removing nutrients from the pond. But then the other side of this issue, which has obviously been a little more controversial, revolves around uh, a CPF purchase, a land swap, a new world-class garden, and the permanent closing of a village roadway, which would be Pond Lane. Uh, Kayla, maybe you can just sort of set the stage for us with this conversation. There's been a couple of big meetings about it already. Sure. I think, um, I guess I'll start with the land swap because I think that that's a really key component for people to understand. And that's really sort of married to this whole issue. So, you know, there's this big issue about whether or not to close Pond Lane and if we need, you know, the degree to which people want like a public gardens and all that. But the land swap is really important because the two pieces of land um, owned by the John Paulson Foundation, um, you know, he bought those with sort of the idea that he wasn't going to develop them himself, but that he would at some point sell them back to this the CPF and to and so that it could be like a community good and save it from being developed. The Lake Agawam Conservancy has shared some photos of a very like boxy, modern looking um, doomsday-ish kind of development house that was would have possibly been built there if they hadn't purchased the land. So um, the land swap has to do a little bit with CPF and this property, uh, Dosher Park, which is kind of, if you go to the playground at, at Lake Agawam, kind of like over that little stone wall there or at the end of that parking lot, you'll see this little kind of little park that, um, you know, I think is sometimes escapes people's attention, but it's there. It's a nice little area. There's some picnic tables there. Um, that is sort of the perfect or prime location to put these algae, the algae harvester, or it's technically three algae harvesters, but to put the the harvester, which um, is a big component on in a you know multi pronged effort to clean up the lake. But because it is a CPF property and it's parkland, it there has to be some sort of swap. You can't just say, oh well, this was a park, but now because we need to put a algae harvester there it can't be a park anymore what if you want to do something like that you have to alienate it and um then you have to swap another piece of land uh that's either the same size or larger now in this case the paulson properties are larger but this would sort of fulfill all those requirements and would allow the harvester to have a perfect setting right near the lake that it's going to be cleaning and um and just fulfill that whole that whole uh, requirement. So I think that that's a big part of understanding, you know, why this is so key. And it also kind of tees up this issue of, well, if this project sort of failed or didn't go through for whatever reason, it wouldn't just be, oh, too bad we don't get to have these nice public gardens and the property is going to get developed. Instead, it also creates what you know, depending on your perspective, might be an even bigger issue or problem, which is then all of a sudden they have to find a new way forward in terms of a piece of land to swap, um, to put the algae harvester, which the degree to how difficult that that would be, I'm not sure of. I haven't really reported out on that yet because it's sort of up in the air whether or not this would happen still. But that is an important component to understand, I think, when it comes to this whole land swap issue. I also want to say, you know, Dr. Chris Gobler, 
um, who was on the panel. And he is a consultant who's working with the Lake Agalom Conservancy. Um, but he's also, I think, probably the leading voice as far as when it comes to clean water in the region. You know, he, he made the point um, in some of his comments that that's what this project is really about as far as he's concerned. The gardens are nice and the aesthetic quality of the gardens is, is definitely a benefit for the village. But he sees this as all about the algae harvester, which is going to have the potential to really clean up the lake in a hurry. But also the, the gardens themselves on that side of Lake Agawam, the plan is to pump lake water onto them as irrigation, which would then allow the water to filter through the groundwater before it goes back into the lake even again. So it would take out even more of the, the impurities. So in his mind, that's what this project is about. It's a water quality project. It's not just an aesthetic uh, improvement for the village. Well, if, if you consider the Dozier Park part of the, the swap, then it has a real purpose, right? Because if, if that's, this, if the Dozier Park, if the use of Dozier Park for the algae harvester, and I actually need to pause and say, in addition to the algae harvester, via grants that have been obtained through the state and through the town, we also have plans to put in um, a permanently reactive barrier on the Dozier Park property to intercept all that wastewater that's coming in from Main Street and to denitrify it and to get it out, right? And I, and I failed to mention it. I apologize for not mentioning that before. But that also needs the Dozier Park property. So that's a second environmental cleanup project for that. Um, so you've got both the, the removal of the nitrogen from Main Street. And again, we, I'm, we're all thrilled there's going to hopefully be a sewer district going forward. But that's going to take time, right? And so this is something that could be done as early as next year, the permanently reactive barrier. Um, as could the algae harvester, but that's, both of those are contingent upon the swap. Um, and then further, you know, again, the idea is that if you have that vegetative buffer along that shoreline, in addition to intercepting everything that's going on, as I already mentioned, it's a second opportunity to run the lake water through that vegetative buffer to continually remove the nitrogen and phosphorus, right? So that's a different calculation as to where it's all coming from. Right? It's about remove, actively removing it once it's in there. And that's something that's going to be really important because let's, let's if we, yes, the, the septic systems are a big source of nitrogen. But again, it's going to take, or the biggest source of nitrogen, but it's going to take years for the sewage treatment plant to be um, put in. And even once it's fully functional, groundwater takes a while to flow into that lake. Right? And secondly, yes, we're upgrading septic systems around the lake. That's going to take time, and it takes 25 years for the contaminated groundwater to flow into the lake. So we need active, in the water, nitrogen and phosphorus removal programs now to have an effect now, unless we want to wait 50 years, because that, that, that's really what it would be, right? That's what, the, as I mentioned in my introduction, that's what we're talking about putting on Pond Lane, so that it can have an active effect today, right? Because we need things today like that, like the permanently reactive barrier we're putting in, like the algae harvester, right? I, uh, yes, are we going to address septic waste? Absolutely. But we all need to recognize that's a, de a decadal effort, right? And if we want to wait decades, then yeah, let's just do that. But if we want a clean lake now, in the near future, we need these active remediation projects that are dealing with the waste today.
There's been a lot of pushback, and we heard some of that at the at the session this week, um, because because part of the plan is to close off Pond Lane. And, you know, anytime there's change in a place like Southampton Village, there's going to be pushback. And I think that's a good thing. And, you know, uh, the conversation yesterday at the Express Sessions event was about the process. Uh, Former Mayor Michael Irving and several audience members suggested that it's been a flawed process. A lot of, you know, sort of discussion in, in back rooms or whatever. And they even offered some alternatives for how it should play out moving forward. Michael Irving is a former mayor of Southampton Village. He's here today, though, more as a self-described concerned citizen. And you're kind of representing, there's been a fairly vocal opposition to this project. Can you talk a little bit about what your concerns are about this project and what you think needs to be addressed and, and discussed in a little more detail? And you might want to pull the microphone a little closer. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. Uh, first off, I'd like to thank you for this uh, event. Um, I think that the major uh, reason that I'm here is I'm concerned about the interests of the village. Uh, the problem that I foresee is that this, uh, to take those two lots is something I had foreseen years ago as a real beneficial to the village. And I think it would be a, a benefit to the village. But the way it was presented the way the general public perceives it and the way that has gone through its organization is completely out of character on most of projects that we have in the village. This uh, uh, park program should have first gone to the planning commission. There it could be vetted and independent studies made and the public would have far more input to what's going on. Then it should have gone to the Planning Commission, which handles mostly commercial divisions in the, in the village. And after the Planning Division, because of the creation of the uh, gardens and the, and the statues and the walls and the gates and so forth that are planned, it should have gone to the ARB, which could look at that and make sure that the design and concept is within the parameters that the general public wants. I will stress to all the public that there are alternative plans to what has been presented. And they make great use of the two lots. They make use of the third lot. They make use of the uh, Pyrus Concert lot, all CPF funded projects, which hasn't even been discussed. Uh, that it, the roadway itself has uh, been dedicated as Concert's Way. And nobody to date that has been on the Agwam Conservancy has even mentioned that. And I think that's a real disrespect to an individual that was a significant contributor to Lake Agwam and to the African American community here. Uh, so I think if it gets represented in the correct manner, and goes through our boards. Our land use boards are actually very good. I've always had strong respect for them. I think the public will have a better insight. The public will have better contribution to changes and, and, and edits that need to be made rather than having a park that could be, if you got gardens in there, you gotta have deer fence. If you got deer fence, you gotta have gates. And if you got gates, they're gonna lock it at night. 
and the general public needs full access 24 hours to something that they're going to be involved in purchasing. Okay. A lot to talk about there. We'll come back to some of that. What about that distrust in the community? There's sort of some questions about who's at the controls here. Is it a village project? Is it a private project? I think it's a little bit of both, right, Kaylin? Absolutely. I think that when you have something in the community that emerges as being divisive, you've got sort of two layers going on. You have the layer of the thing itself and the way that people feel about it. But then you have sort of this deeper, um, I don't want to say existential, but sort of like, well, who the question, I think, consciously or not, whether people realize it is who gets to be the stewards of a community and make these kind of choices? Who gets to be the ones that say, this is the idea that's great and we came up with it and everyone should come along, you know? And I think I see that happening a lot. I've seen it happen in my coverage of Sag Harbor around certain issues. I think it's kind of a tale as old as time, I'm sure you all have seen it many, many times before. And it raises a really important question because a community by its very definition is, is about all the people who live there feeling like they have an equal stake in what's happening. So I think that a lot of the time people have reasons for not liking something. And, you know, in this particular debate, I've seen kind of good points made on both sides. I've also seen a lot of people trying to come up with compromise solutions. But I also see that when you talk about that process, I think sometimes people feel like whether or not the intentions are good behind what somebody's trying to do and whether or not the plan itself is, you know, if there's an ulterior motive or not, because that's been something some of the people that have been asking questions about this have sort of raised. I think that it's a human thing to sort of feel um, if a plan is already pretty fully fleshed out by the time you hear about it for the first time. I think in this situation, you know, whatever the motives were, I mean, this plan was formulated by the Conservancy we, we know over over at least a year, maybe a, a couple of years, kind of quietly and, and, and in private. And, and maybe you need to do that to push a project um, forward, um, you know, especially one of this magnitude. But I think when that happens and, and, I'll, and you know, and a, and a group comes forward and says, so here's this project and this is what we've decided it should be, then there's always a little bit of skepticism because the public wasn't involved in the planning of that project. And, and that's right. obviously what they're trying to do now, the Conservancy to, to come forward and say, um, you know, that they want public input and, you know, want public support. But there was that element of, I don't want to say secrecy, but, but a quiet planning of, mm-hmm. of the project. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to that point, I mean, certainly from the conversations at the event was this sounds like an issue that could really take a lot of time to work through. But there's also some concern in the room about that it'll actually be pushed through quicker than a lot of people would like to see that happen. And and the discussion did land on compromise at times. Right. About can we do this project? Everybody agrees that they want to clean up Lake Aguam and we'll get to some of those environmental issues and the way they're tackling it. But Closing a, a, a village roadway, closing a portion of Pond Lane, uh, really um, sort of a, a big, a big re, redevelopment of that area. What do you? What's your guys' take on on how long this process could play out, or is it is it something that the principal players want to move quickly on? And, and I know that compromise was 
in the room, everybody was asking for it, but I'm not sure that we really got a concrete answer to that. Joe? I'm intrigued, uh, you know, and not to pat ourselves on the back, but I, I think one of the whole points of having an express session is to put people in the same room and give them a chance to talk to each other. And one of the things that I thought happened that was very interesting, Laurie Carson, who is an opponent of the project, and she's actually been one of the most vocal opponents and she really kind of helped spearhead the petition drive against it. I believe she has sort of led the group that's taken out ads to, to, to ask questions about the project. She had said at the meeting that um, she had an offer for the conservancy that uh, she wanted to sit down with them and have a conversation and they were working on an alternative plan. Hi, I'm Lori Carson. Um, I'm actually on the opposed side of closing down Pond Lane. Um, I applaud the Conservancy on their water quality um, efforts to clean up the lake. I don't think anyone in this village is opposed to cleaning up the lake. And I even think a garden is probably a good idea if it's the proper type of garden for that venue, which is in a seaside community. So I think there are good people on both sides of this issue. And I think many, many valid points were made at the September 14th meeting. So I, have, I, I think it's so important that for our village, we look for a compromise. So I have a question for both Mr. Bonnet and Mayor Manger. Would you both be willing to sit down or at an open public meeting and listen to an alternate plan that is being designed by two very prominent local landscape architects who feel that they can include everything that everybody wants. A clean lake, a vegetative buffer, a park, and an open road. I think it would behoove this community if we could get an alternative opinion and have the community be able to view that. Because in all due respect, I don't feel that the Conservancy's plan to date has been fully flushed out. The Express Sessions are supported by Adam Miller Group, a leading real estate law firm in the Hamptons, specializing in representing and advising clients on acquisitions, sales, leasing, and every aspect of zoning of residential and commercial real estate. Partners Adam Miller and Denise Schoen are known for being highly responsive and solutions-oriented. The firm has had offices in Bridgehampton since 2007 and also has a presence in South Florida. Knowledge of the law, fastidious execution, key relationships, and personal dedication are the cornerstones of the practice. Visit adammillergroup.com or call 631 537 1155 to connect today. I think that that David Bonnert's um, willingness to at least um, hear them out I, and, and to say not only yes, we'll, we'll sit down with you, but please spread that around. I, I mean, I think that's I think. Look, the unspoken thing here, I, I, I'm, you know, who, who am I to speak for these guys? But I think that the Lake Agawam Conservancy did put together a plan. They like their plan. They would like to go have it go through the way they've designed it. 
But I think they're beginning to realize now that there's going to have to be some back and forth with the community and some talk of compromise as long as they can still achieve the goals. And, and I think Chris Gobler made it clear that he felt there wasn't maybe going to be enough room if you leave the road in place to do the things they want to do, you know, to, to try and clean up the lake. I think that's going to be the big question, but I think, I think there will be a conversation going forward. One of the, one of the questions that I had and we asked at, at the event and kind of didn't get a clear answer on is, is there a ticking clock? Is there a timetable here? David Bonnet, let's, let's circle back to Pond Lane because I do think Pond Lane has been the focal point of the debate that we've, we've heard. Why is it so crucial to eliminate Pond Lane to vehicle traffic as part of this project. It's actually the, the, the sale back to the town for the CPF is contingent on it, on, on eliminating Pond Lane as a vehicular road. Why is that so centrally important to this project? It's great to see, you know, I heard all the clapping and it's, it's just great to see everybody so engaged and I, I really take this as a very positive sign because I, I, I think everybody's so engaged because they realize how important it is to clean Lake Agawam. So whatever the catalyst for that has been, clearly a lot of it's been Pond Lane, um, great. I mean, I, I, I think that we need to put this energy, continue to put this energy for years ahead uh, with, with trustee meetings and, and other forums to ensure that Lake Agawam continues to get cleaned up. I've never, in the 16 years I've been doing this, I've never seen this amount of interest and enthusiasm basically for cleaning Lake Agawam. So Pond Lane is a controversial part of that. No doubt about that. You know, I look at it as if, why not put a two-lane road in front of Cooper's Beach Cafe? I mean, it, 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 people would love to drive even closer to the beach. It's right there at Cooper's Beach Cafe. You don't do it because it interrupts the ecological, it interrupts the aesthetic, it interrupts mm -hmm. the recreational use of Cooper's Beach. Same thing here. We have the opportunity with plenty of alternative traffic patterns, including Gin Lane where you can park and see the lake and drive by. We have plenty of alternative traffic patterns to close this quarter mile of Pond Lane and ensure that we have aesthetic, recreational, and environmental access uh, that, that is good for everybody. So that's the reason. But you know, I spoke with John Paulson a few weeks ago for an article for the paper, and he said it's a deal breaker, that, that it just won't happen unless this happens. That seems like a really strong position that there's no conversation to, to think of a compromise solution even. Is a compromise solution a possibility? I mean, I, I, I think a one-lane road and the conservancy's position is a, a one-lane road is a, is a terrible non-starter. What direction is it going to go? What, what, do people funnel into the village from the estate section and only from the estate section? Do people funnel onto ox pasture to exacerbate traffic on ox pasture? It just seems to be a compromise for the sake of compromise. I think what John is saying is it just makes sense. You know, he, he, he uses the term deal breaker, but I think what he's really saying is why wouldn't we want to have pedestrian and bicycle access and recreational access to the lake. I, I think that's what he meant. The village is going to order the algae harvester. 
it'll take about six months off site to construct that algae harvester before work begins at site. So they have some time, but they're going to need to have a place for that project to get underway. If the longer this goes on and the longer they don't have a land swap that allows that algae harvester to land in Dosher Park, you know, the more it's a timetable that, that may not, may give at least, uh, it may put uh, a limit on how long this conversation can go. Along those yeah. lines, Joe, when you, you were describing the, the sessions to me earlier, you had said that you felt like coming in to, to the sessions, that, that there was um, a bit of animosity that you felt in the room, but having the conversation, and I think, again, this is what's important about express sessions, is having a conversation and bringing everybody together in the room, some of that animosity lessened a little bit as as people started to communicate with each other and 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 you know and and be able to talk to each other in in the sessions is that is that a Gavin, accurate portrayal? Gavin and Kayla, did you see that? I mean, I felt like as people got a chance to ask their questions and voice their opinions, and as they were being heard by the panel, I, I felt like the tension in the room really dissipated quite a bit, and there was there was some good back and forth. The atmosphere naturally disarms people, first of all, because you're having a nice lunch and, you know, you're supposed to behave when you're at the dinner table, but <laughs> you're supposed to behave in public meetings, too. But I think people come to public meetings and the entire purpose of being there is to speak about something they feel strongly about during that time. And they get, you know, a, a certain amount of time and it's it's not supposed to necessarily be a back and forth. It's just you have X amount of minutes to say your piece and we're not supposed to engage in a Q&A. And you have to have rules like that at a meeting. But when you are at a sessions event, it's almost like you're getting the benefit of being able to speak your mind publicly to a room full of people who also care about the issue. And obviously the people that are going to make the decisions about it, like the mayor and a lot of other different people who are in those positions of power. But you're also like, reminded of the fact that you're sitting and sharing breaking bread sharing a meal with your fellow community members and so it's a it's definitely um the kind of environment where you're maybe a little more relaxed you're having a nice time you, you know it kind of it sets up nicely for having more of a conversation that can be less combative yeah i was sitting in the back of the room with uh, with some people who are you know opposed to parts of the project right and there's even some misinformation and i think maybe some news that came out of the out of the meeting when we were talking about the uh algae harvester right so there was a question from the audience that was says my understanding is you have this algae harvester and you know why isn't it in place right now and where could it go otherwise and then the mayor uh responded the algae harvester. I, I still have the uh, the contract with the uh, the village attorney, and it has not been signed yet. Uh, and in fact, once we we sign the contract, uh, it will take six months to construct. Uh, and it's actually it's three algae harvesters uh, that will be able to process three million <coughs> gallons of uh, lake water a day. Uh, each each uh, component is able to do a million gallons a day. Uh, we are we're purchasing three. Uh, so that's how you get the 3 million gallons a day. But uh, it will take six months for them to be constructed. So once I sign the contract, which could be uh, very soon in the next uh, couple of few weeks here, 
Uh, it will be six months, so they should be uh, available uh, late spring and operational by, by summer 2024. But we do not have them yet. They have not been constructed yet, and I have not signed the contract yet. So um, that, that, that's, that's where we are at the Mayor, point. Mayor, where would it be located right now since there isn't you can't use Dasha Park as it stands, correct? That's or, correct. The company, AECOM, that is going to be building them is located in Florida. So we think that some of the uh, construction will be done in Florida, uh, and then they will be brought up here on, on trucks. And, and once we have the ability to use Dozier Park, they will, they will use Dozier Park to, to uh, you know, put, put them on site and, and put in the piping and, and do all of that work on site. But we're looking at, again, that not happening until, uh, you know, sometime in 2024. And we're hoping, again, if everything goes according to plan, that, that it'll be operational uh, sometime in the summer of 2024. And I suspect you're as eager as anybody to get it going. Yes, yes. We're still, but I said, uh, you know, we're still working on some, uh, some aspects of the contract. The Express Sessions are supported by Advantage Title, a leading provider of residential and commercial title service on the east end of Long Island, throughout New York and nationwide. With an expertise in land use and five in-house counsel, they're known for seamless transactions. Since 1987, hands-on management, state-of-the-art technology, underwriter relationships, and a commitment to being the best have set Advantage Title apart. Visit AdvantageTitle.com or contact Executive Vice President Chris Nuzzi at cnuzzi at AdvantageTitle.com to discuss your title needs today. The thing is that everybody in that room wants to see improvements in Lake Agawam. Everybody in that room appreciates the environmental uh, impacts that we're having. Uh, one of the residents in attendance was Rob Coburn, who... He brought up that the watershed that affects Lake Agawam is uh, he kind of wanted to dispel the idea that it's the, the 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 wealthy homeowners in the estate section that have caused all this pollution, when in fact it's five five hundred or even a thousand homes that over a hundred years have contributed to the situation with Lake Agawam. So I think that that environmental issue it's complicated, right? A lot of us have to really ask a lot of questions to understand this stuff. And I think in that setting, when there was some back and forth and some understanding, like you said, it makes people feel better. Yeah, I mentioned this um, at the event that there's been an undercurrent in some of the critics of this project that that they have this nagging feeling that somebody's up to something, that the Lake Agawam Conservancy has some benefit that's going to come for the property owners that that there's some something that that we're not talking about and i i you know i don't know but it seemed to me that there was a sincerity in sort of explaining that the real driving factor here is about cleaning up the lake and that that it fits into it's a complicated set of circumstances as kaylin said earlier you know you have this algae harvester you have this land swap that has to take place. You have the idea of the gardens being a buffer. Um, these are all pointed towards cleaning up the lake, which is the purpose of the creation of the Lake Agawam Conservancy, I have to point out. That was their whole reason for being when they were created, I believe, in 2019. So um, I think that message did get out yesterday. And 
I think it's an interesting point when Kaylin talks about breaking bread and we all sort of come together as a community to have a conversation like this. It is a very different feel than when you go to a public meeting. And I feel like that message resonated a bit. I think, I think it was fairly clear after a lot of the conversation that water quality is an enormous part of this, this project. Hmm. Yeah. All right. Anything else to add guys? I think that's probably pretty good. I mean, I don't know. There was one other thing that I, that kind of, you know, is in the back of my mind as well re related to the closure of the road. I think that the Lake Agawam Conservancy is trying very hard to engage the community and reassure them that they're not just trying to ram this plan through as is. And they, they understand, I they want to do that. They also clearly have to do that because there is a real ground. You can't ignore like a groundswell of, of people feeling strongly about something in a community like that. And neither can the elected officials or they can, but it would be to their like severe detriment. But remember the John Paulson Foundation owns that land. And even though he purchased it with the intent of rescuing it from being developed and with the intent of selling it back to the town, the CPF and donating the one parcel, he doesn't have to, right? So he owns that land. And so the thing that will be interesting to, to you know, listen to going forward because so many of the people who are expressing opposition are not expressing opposition to the whole idea of doing something down there. They're really expressing opposition to the closure of the road. But thus far, and especially Joe, when you had your Q&A with John, he said pretty, pretty without, you know, much um, ambiguity that the sale of those properties is contingent upon uh, the road being closed. And also, I don't even know if it's just him as well. It's also the town. Jay, in conversations I've had with Jay Schneiderman, he envisions that whole plan kind of the same way the Conservancy envisions it. And so the, the town CPF is also not necessarily under an obligation to, to buy that land. And we should mention Southampton Village in its master plan update a few years ago, had the idea of converting Pond Lane to a biking and walking trail. So all three sides, the Conservancy and John Paulson's Foundation, the town and the village are all sort of in agreement that they'd like to yeah. see Pond Lane become a walking and biking trail. So this is your advertisement for when your community updates its master plan. You really should, it behooves you to go. I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to make this sound like, you know, both sides have to do the right thing, right? Like both sides have to do a lot. The The village itself has to do a lot of outreach to let people know that they're doing this and they need to come and make their voice heard. But the people in the community really have to show up to these meetings too and kind of go over with an eagle eye all the things that are on there because I don't know that a lot of people realized that that was in the master plan or paid that much close attention to it. The master plan is also one of these things where it's not like, it's ideas and things that they want to do, but it's not any kind of guarantee that they're going to happen. So maybe some people saw it and were kind of like, ah, that's probably not a thing that'll happen. Who knows? But, you know, it, it, it's a good lesson in when something like this happens, pay attention because it was, it was in there. And um, I don't recall a lot of discussion about it at the time that the plan was being reviewed. 
Well, it's been a very active letters page, and uh, I'm sure this story <laughs> will will continue to spill out onto the front page of the Southampton Press. So thank you all for joining us. Um, I will say that the Express sessions are just getting started. We have our uh, next event coming up on October 12th in Sag Harbor, and it's going to be affordable housing for essential volunteers and professionals on public land. Hmm. Some really interesting discussions going around about that, and so we'll be in... Uh, Tag Harbor on October 12th and, and stay tuned for more good sessions news. All roads full of traffic lead back to affordable housing. <laughs> they, they always do. Thank you for listening. The Express Sessions and the Sessions Report are presented by Rocco Carrero Wealth Partners. Our session partners are the Adam Miller Group and Advantage Title, with additional support from Sabro Capital, Geek Hampton, Dayton Ritz and Osborne Insurance, and Greenberg Trowerick. A special thanks to our media partner, WLIWFM. We will see you next time at Express Sessions for another conversation not to be missed.